Afternoon. I hope you're not too tired, and I uh, hope you'll be able to bear with us as we go through this last session. I know Peter uh, has spent a lot of time this morning as well as this afternoon talking about and, and showing from the Bible about um, evangelism, about the need for unity. But what we'd like to do now is uh, share a little, put a little flesh around that and uh, give you a bit of testimony and uh, tell you a little bit about what we've been doing in uh, Virginia. We've been working with a church there called Culpepper, my brother and I. It's, uh, it's not exactly an Iona project. It's something that we were doing before we joined Iona at the beginning of this year. Um, but it's, it's a, a model that we would like to emulate to other churches. And it's going to be part of our program. So Iona is not just going to consist of a training, uh, a training school but we'd like to be able to, to uh, place our students after that out in the field and to be able to work with the churches and have long-term relationships with the churches. And so we believe that this, this other piece of, of work that we're starting up is just as important. So uh, please join me as uh, I tell you a little bit about Culpepper. Um, Culpepper, I started, um, I came to U.S. last year at the beginning of 2007. And uh, this is not the time for me to share with you my testimony, but basically I had left my workplace. Uh, I was running a software business out in uh, Asia, Malaysia, Thailand, as well as Australia. And uh, my wife and I decided that we wanted to serve the Lord full-time in ministry. So we came over and uh, we started out in, in Culpeper. We were studying there. But uh, my brother came to help me settle in. And the first Sabbath of the year, 2007, he preached a sermon in, in Culpeper Church, and this is a country church. It's about 40 members uh, at that time, and uh, he came and preached a sermon. There was really no young adults at the time, but it just so happened that Sabbath, these two young people came in, and he preached a sermon on sacrifice. He made an appeal, and they decided that they wanted to recommit their lives to the Lord. And uh, my brother asked me to start Bible studies with them. And that was the beginning of our story. And uh, basically what we did was we formed a small group. My brother and I, we come from Australia. And uh, we've been involved in small group ministry on and off for about 10 years. In fact, the church that we were working or, or grew up in over there has gone on to plant two other churches in the last six years. And is planning their ch third church plant called Gateway 3, uh, next, next year or so, I believe. So they have, uh, we, we come from uh, a church with a lot of experience and, and uh, a lot of uh, appreciation for this, this tool called small group ministry. And so we started this first small group. It's a little blurry because I used my uh, cell phone at the time to take the picture. But uh, we started off there about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, about nine people. And uh, it was basically those two boys that you see in the middle there. Their names are Drew and Thomas. And um, we started with that small group. Their father came along. Um, and from there, over the course of that time, they brought their cousin, the guy trying to do the karate kick. Um, that's, that's their cousin. Um, and slowly the group began to grow. And so we were just focusing on small group Bible study, trying to implement slowly the things that we had learned or experienced in Australia. Um, 
by about April of 2007, we decided that we were going to have a, a, a camp so that, you know, family, uh, the people in the small groups could invite their friends. And uh, we had about um, all up almost 20 people for that camp. So that was our first outreach camp, what we call an outreach camp. And the theme was, my God is real. Um, we celebrated birthdays together. Uh, we also did a bit of health outreach by the middle of the year as well um, at one of the church members' house. She invited her friends over, and uh, she was really well-connected in the community, so we decided we would do some health outreach. Uh, we did a Mother's Day program, and uh, the same group of people that, uh, that we'd started the small groups were, uh, they also helped out in the kitchen, and uh, we prepared this program for the mothers, and uh, we invited mothers from the community as well. This was one of the, uh, by about June, July, we split into two small groups. So we had one small group meeting. Uh, in fact, we had moved out of the church. What, uh, what you saw in that first picture was the church. We had moved out of the church and moved into one of the guy's houses, Thomas. And so we were meeting in his house in uh, Culpeper, and uh, we were beginning to meet uh, also um, in another church member's house in uh, Madison. And later on, we moved to Orange, which is where uh, Robbie is from, and he'll be sharing a little bit about that. So we had small groups. By this time, we had about 10 people, as you can see, 10 or so people in the, the group in Culpeper. In the group in Madison, we also had about between six to eight people. So we had grown to about 18 people by that time. Then began the summer, and we spent about 10 weeks. Unfortunately, I don't have any pictures, but we did about 10 weeks of call portering, selling books. We decided we would try something different as well, and we sold vegetables. Uh, we had an organic farm uh, at the school, so we took the vegetables. We went out and tried to sell that as well. And believe it or not, uh, the community responded really well to that, and we were able to use that to um, share with them the health message as well. And we did Bible work. By the end of the summer, we had about 150 contacts, both in Bible as well as health. Um, and by November, sorry, by September, we decided that we would do another outreach camp. Um, we wanted to, we had new members in, and again, we wanted to build more relationships. And I'll talk more about the principles behind what we were doing uh, later on. But we had our second outreach camp, and it was called Reach for Life. Again, we had about 20 or so people for that. By November, um, Ben had already joined us in the summer, my brother, and uh, he preached our prophecy seminar. That was in November. Um, at that time, we were told that uh, you know, a lot of people had come and preached in Culpeper, and uh, not a lot of people had come. In fact, there was one where they had publicized for months over television, newspaper, and, and things like that, and uh, only about 10 people came. But praise the Lord for this prophecy seminar. We went out there. We only printed about 4,000 cards, but we believed in personal touch. So we went out and handed out each one of these cards rather than uh, typically what most churches do today, which is mail it. We went out and gave it personally and spoke to the people as much as we could. And we had about 50 people per night, uh, averaging about 15 um, non-Adventists. So Ben preached that, and it was a 10-day prophecy seminar, what we wanted to do was test the waters to see how the community would respond, and they certainly responded favorably. 
again, out of these meetings, um, we had more contacts and we continue to work with them. We had about four people doing Bible studies um, and uh, as well as various church members. So four part-time Bible workers as well as church members working together. Um, for the next five months or so, we continue to do Bible studies, continue to do door-to-door um, -door as, as well as uh, by, uh, doctrinal Bible studies in the homes. And by May, we had our public evangelism. And uh, we had a real tough time finding uh, location. So in the end, we decided that we would have a tent right next to the church. And so we put a tent up. The church is, in fact, on one of the uh, highways. And so it was very visible. And uh, a lot of people saw the sign. And we did quite, quite a number of people walk in as a result. As Peter mentioned, it was about four weeks, 20 days. And uh, we had somebody from Zimbabwe come. His name was Rodney Millen. And uh, he preached a really powerful series. And at the end of it, this is the uh, evangelism in the tent. Um, the Bible workers or the part-time Bible workers also filmed it. Uh, we also recorded it. And so every night after recording it, we would provide the CDs uh, of the night before. And uh, people were able to buy that and distribute that to their friends. Uh, as well as uh, we continue to use that to hand out door-to-door. Uh, -door. But at the end of it, uh, we had 17 baptisms and rebaptisms. So we praise the Lord for that. And... Uh, in the last five years, I believe the number of baptisms have been, I think, a total of three. Um, and so for this church, it was a real, um, you know, it's a real powerful experience. We basically grew the church almost 50%. And uh, church attendance has gone up because family members are beginning to bring their own uh, family members in. Um, and uh, it's been a real powerful journey for all of us that have been involved. One of the people who got baptized, as Peter mentioned, was, uh, is our friend Robbie Berry. And we met him last year around September? Sorry? July, around July. Um, and we started studying with him, and he's going to share his story with you a little bit. And then I'm going to come back and share with you a, a few of the principles that uh, we put together and a little bit about the program that uh, we would like to uh, implement uh, for churches who are interested. And uh, so I'll pass the time over to Robbie now. Good evening. Happy Sabbath. Glad to be here in Southern California. It's really beautiful here. Um, David asked me to share with you guys about my testimony. Um, as, as you already know, I'm new to the Adventist faith, but my Christian experience started in 1998 in Charlottesville, Virginia. I started attending a non-denominational church. Um, it was a charismatic church, and I was baptized into Christ's community in 1999, a year after I started it. Um, attending the church. Then a few years went by and I moved um, to Orange County about 30 minutes, 45 minutes away from Charlottesville to start a new business. And that's where I, um, I started my business, Hair Expressions. 
and I started attending Grace Community Church. This was a church plant from Christ Community Church. As I was at um, that church, I'd been tending there for about a year to two years, and I really didn't feel that I was growing or learning anything in the church. Plus, I had a lot of questions that I hadn't got answered. Some of the questions was um, about revelations. When I was at um, Christ Community in Charlottesville, um, we never really preached on revelations or the end of times. And I often wondered, but I never asked questions. And when I moved to Orange, it was a smaller church, so I felt a little more comfortable approaching the pastor. And, um, but the church would not touch on these issues. They said these issues divided the church and the issues was not salvational. And I kind of disagreed, but I just, I didn't really argue the point. Excuse me. So beginning of 2007, the early part of the year, my heart was burdened and I prayed um, to God because um, I really wanted to know the Bible more. And um, I, just, I just asked God to reveal itself to me, make itself real. And I didn't know exactly how God would work at that time. But it wasn't until a client had invited me to a care group. Um, she came in regularly her and her sons, and I would do her hair, and she invited me to this little care group thing. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew it was a Bible study, and I knew that she was a seven-day Adventist. I knew that they went to church on Saturday, and I went on Sunday. So, so I went to the care group, um, on a Friday evening, they picked me up. They asked, could they come by and pick me up? I said, yes, sure. And we got there. Um, the first, I met a lot of people, a lot of people in my own age group, which was really nice because I kind of felt like I fit in. We got there, and we, beforehand, before the Bible study, we had a meal together. Uh, it was a vegetarian meal. It was a lot of different foods I wasn't exposed to. Uh, that was, and then afterwards we had a Bible study that lasted for about an hour, and that's when Ben taught on um, John three, being baptized with the um, water and the Spirit, and we sung um, beforehand before we started studying. We sung scripture songs from the Bible, which was really exciting for me because I really, in my previous church, I really loved worship, and I had never seen people take scripture, scriptures out of the Bible and turn them into a song. So that was really exciting for me. But the whole Bible study was different from the Bible studies that we had in, our, in my church, Sunday church. Every answer we got from the, every answer that evening we got from the Bible. And it wasn't just a conversation of what I think and what someone else thought. And I had, I was like sitting there the whole time. I was like, wow, this is really exciting. This is really what I'm looking for. 
And then at the end of the evening, um, I approached Ben and I just thanked, I thought, thanked everybody for letting me come and inviting me. And the, um, I just I said to Ben that evening, I said, wow, I really want to know the Bible more. And he, he said, um, well, we have to get together and study sometime. I was like, oh, sure, you know. So we exchanged um, information that evening, and I didn't call him back. I waited for him to call me, and he called me one evening on the phone, and he asked me, when could we get together and study the Bible together? And I took him up on his offer. So I started um, doing um, personal Bible studies with him and Fleet. They came over one evening, and we studied the Bible and everything. Again, we got all our answers again from the Bible. But I had some main concerns that I wanted, um, and questions I wanted to get answered, and they were about the book of Revelations, who this Antichrist was, and what is the mark of the beast. And Ben wouldn't, ben wouldn't share the information with me at first. But it, it took a couple, couple studies, and um, we finally got to that. But we started off um, in the purpose of God in creation and just basic things about creation. I went back to my old church after I'd been studying with um, Ben and Philippe a couple weeks and going to the care groups. And I was really excited about um, what I'd been learning. So I started sharing it with people in my Sunday church. And... Um, no one really responded in a negative way until we got to the uh, study about the Sabbath. And I, my schedule at work was Monday through Saturday, closed on Sunday because Sunday is a day, was my day of worship. But we got to the Sabbath issue, and it wasn't a big deal for me. I just really didn't see that it was a salvational issue. But David had shared with me and. Ben had shared with me of John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that just really hit home. So I went back to my pastor at his, um, and was asking him questions regarding the Sabbath. And he says, it's not a big issue. Whatever day you want to take to worship is your preference. You know, just take one day aside. But that's not what the Bible had said. And I, you know, it was just not real clear with me, you know. So one Saturday evening, a friend of, from the care group dropped by. Um, the Sambillos, they dropped by and wanted to hang out. And we started studying. The, we got on the topic of the Bible. We started looking at the Bible. And at the time, I was reading, um, studying out of the NIV. And they were studying out of the KJV. And they asked me to turn to certain verses in the Bible. And in my Bible, the verses was not there. They were missing. And I was like, this troubled me. So he asked me to turn to another text, turn to another text. That verse was missing out of the Bible. So this really bothered me. Um, when they left that evening, I went, called my pastor at his home, got his wife on the phone. And I asked to speak to him, and we were talking about the NIV Bible and why these verses was not in there. 
And he went on to share with me. They were in the footnotes. And he was right. They were at the footnotes. And my big issue was if there were going to be in the text, they should be where they should be, not at the bottom of the page in the fine print. We, know, we all know what the fine print me means. We never read it. <clears throat> so I went over um, to the pastor's house that evening and um, I had some books um, that was left with me The Great Controversy and I just laid it all out my main concern why was these, these verses where they should have been and I wanted to know more about the Sabbath and um, The pastor led me to believe that my Adventist friends had showed me um, they, were they were a group of legalistic people. And, um, and they, were, um, they had cult-like tendencies. So um, this kind of bothered me, but at the same time, I had been studying with um, Ben and Philippe for a while and been going to care groups and everything I had been learning and studying from was from the Bible. And I, I couldn't really argue with that because it was written. And everything that my pastor had told me is what he thought or what another theologian had thought. So, and then the teachings in our church, you know, I started thinking about the teachings and the things I had been learned in my church. I said, well, I haven't really learned a whole lot in the church, you know. And our church really isn't grounded in the Bible like what I've been learning from the care group friends. And I didn't know what was going on in the Adventist church at the time because I hadn't been to an Adventist church. So I didn't know what to compare it to. But um, I knew what we were learning from the care group was from the Bible. And I was beginning to really learn more about the Bible. And I started having more questions and So um, when the pastor told me that the, my Adventist friends that I was hanging out with were legalistic and it was a cult-like tendencies, I said, well, I'll just find this out for myself. You know, I wasn't going to just listen to what one person said. I said, well, I'll figure it out for myself. And if I'm mis misled, you know, I'm misled. So after studying the Sabbath message with Ben, I wanted to follow Christ all the way. But Saturday was one of my busiest days in the salon, so that created another obstacle for me. I would have to shut down on Saturday. And I didn't know if I should do that or not because I wasn't for sure um, if I would still be successful, um, if people would still continue to come to my salon, and, and if I, how many people I would lose because I knew I would lose clients because Saturday was our busiest day. But I kept on being reminded of the, um, the verse of John 14, 15. It just kept on ringing back in my head. And one Friday night at Care Group, David and I had talked about it again, and he had shared that verse with me again. He just said, well, what does this say? And I was like, so that evening I went to bed thinking about the Sabbath. Woke up in the middle of the night at around 2 or 3 o'clock, still troubled by this, this whole message. And 7 o'clock came, my alarm clock went off, and the, 
the whole message in my head was the Sabbath again. And I was troubled by this. I really didn't have any peace about it, and I, I thought I was going crazy. And finally I said, Lord, you know, I said, if this is really important, and if this is really so, I'll obey it. Hebrews 11:6 tells us we must have faith in order to please God. And that and he that comes to God must have faith. So I said, well, I'll have faith. I'll just trust in it. And, and I just prayed. I said, Lord, if this isn't where I'm supposed to be, I just pray that you would lead me somewhere else and I would not, would not learn anything. And by God's grace, um, I came to the Adventist church and I've learned so much within a year. It's amazing. You know, God is really at work. But there was days, there was Saturdays that I struggled with um, the whole Sabbath issue. Um, it wasn't easy because I would work, you know, I would work some, then I would go to church, you know, and it was really not, I didn't know how to transition it all into one. But finally I, I did, and I, I started opening my business on Sunday from 1 to 5, and that was actually a huge blessing. I wish I had done it earlier. <laughs> It actually added an eighth day in my week somewhere. Because uh, I would work from 9 to 6 Monday through Friday and 9 to 3 on Saturdays. Being closed on Sabbath and opening on Sunday, Sunday gave me a day to work out in the yard um, between the time I woke up until time to go to work. And then in the evening time, I had when I got off at 5, I had the whole evening to do whatever I wanted to do. So I felt like I had an extra day. I took a little slack, well, I took a lot of slack from some of my clients to why I was doing what I was doing when I told them I was going to be closing on Saturday and opening on Sunday. And everybody looked at me like I was crazy. And they're like, why are you doing this? And I, st I went on to tell them why I was doing it. I was going to start going to church on Saturday because it was the Sabbath and I was going to be opening on Sunday. Even the girl that worked for me, um, Heather, she thought I was crazy. She would go on to make the appointments and she would tell the people, well, Robbie's going to be closed on Saturday and open on Sunday. And she's rolling her eyes and the customers are rolling their eyes. Um, I was like, how is this going to work, you know? So I had to, we had to win her over. So when I got baptized, she got baptized too. So... <clears throat> So her and I now go to church on Sabbath, and um, we both observe it. So just God works. When I started going to the Adventist church, there was other issues that I was concerned about, too, because I came from a church we had, uh, like I said, it was a charismatic church, so we had guitars, drums, um, bass guitars, pianos, you name it, we had it. And some Sundays, it was like a rock and roll concert. Um, but when I came to the Adventist church, we had hymns. And I was like, wow. I really am not for sure how I'm going to like this. But I continued to come because I enjoyed the, the friends I met from the care group. So that just, that's what kept on drawing me back. Because I enjoyed the friends and I enjoyed the company of everybody. 
And when I got to the church and I started attending, I noticed there was something different about the Adventist church. It's everyone in the church was warm and friendly. You know, I felt like it's a small country church, and I felt like I was part of the family. You know, and I felt like I had known these people for years, and I had only known them a couple months. So I got to attend... Um, I got to attend one of the evangelistic series that Ben uh, did, and um, we went out beforehand, like David said, and we handed out um, postcards and personally invited everybody. That was really difficult for me at first because I was like, I really don't like this knocking on people's doors and telling them about Jesus. I thought they were going to throw tomatoes or, <laughs> or tell me to get off of their doorstep, but um, it was really good. But when I started attending the, um, the um, crusades, I started learning more. Um, it was just really... And then what sealed it for me was um, when Ben preached um, on somewhere in Revelations, it says, come out of her, my people. And it just really, it just set the, it really, the light went off in my head. We've, we've attended camp meetings, um, camping trips, and we've had devotions and Bible studies. And I've got to see the people in the Adventist church uh, in a different light, you know, by going camping with them, hanging out, going shopping with them. We've went, um, one of the guys in the grocery, and Philippe, actually, in the care group, actually, him and I have went grocery shopping a few times to help me, you know, with the veg vegetarian thing. I'm still working on that. Uh, um, but I got to see these people in a different light. These people were real people who loved Jesus just like I did. And all the stuff that people says was not true, you know. And um, it's my prayer for that other people would be so much more open into the truth. After studying a year with Ben, I decided that I wanted to recommit my life to the Lord and get rebaptized in the Adventist faith at the um, evangelistic series in May. The series went on for a month, and when I decided to do this, I started having some issues, um, and they were really strange. I started um, being burdened down at night. I couldn't sleep. It bothered me. Um, when I would go to the meetings, I was almost felt like I was going to have a nervous breakdown, or I was having anxiety. I went to to these meetings and I was really troubled because I knew I wanted to get baptized and I didn't know exactly what was going on in my mind. Even the day I got baptized, I was thinking of not going through with it at all. It was like it was a struggle and I felt that there was a war going on in my mind. And I felt like I was being torn too. But again, I just surrendered that day and, and after getting baptized, immediately those feelings left. And I just know it was... I know it was Satan. He didn't want me to go through with it. And so since my baptism, I have a strong desire now to serve God more. I want to learn even more and help our church grow because I really believe that our church, the Adventist church, has the whole truth. And I really believe at the end of the day, this is God's last day church. And it's my prayer to lead others to Christ and help change lives for eternity. 
<clears throat> we have um, started do, doing Bible studies in Maslan, and we've got, it's around eight or nine people, and some are experiencing their care groups for the first time. I've started um, to help with the care groups, and some weeks I lead the care groups, which is really nice. I want people to experience the same thing as I've experienced because there are so many people who are out there who are lost and, uh, and that don't know the truth and they don't know they're lost. And it's our job as Christians to point them back to the, the light. And I just praise God um, for giving me this chance to serve him and equipping me with the knowledge of knowing this truth. And I'm really reminded that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Like I said earlier, there's a lot of people out there who are lost, and they don't know they're lost, and, and they don't know the truth and how Christ died, that they may have eternal life. And I really believe if we implement the care groups and friendship evangelism into our own lives and, and through our churches, when we network with our family, our friends, and our coworkers, and our neighbors will see lives being transformed by the love of Christ. God has called us to be faithful and to love our neighbors. And I'm constantly reminded of the story in John 21, 16, where Christ says, feed my sheep. He says that three times. And the third time, um, Peter um, says, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And Christ said unto him, feed my sheep. God wants us to reach out today and feed his sheep. I really believe that Jesus has long suffered enough and he wants to come back again. Wouldn't you agree? And I think um, if we will reach out and feed, feed God's sheep, our lives will also be transformed. Will you reach out today through in integrated evangelism to win souls into the kingdom. That's my challenge I would leave you guys with today, is that you guys would reach out and we don't have to be, we don't have to know a whole lot. The only thing we have to do is open up our lives. You know, open up our homes and time and give of our time. And if we give of our time, you know, we'll really be blessed and others will be blessed. And and we'll see great things happen within the church. So, thank you guys. Thanks, Robbie. Can we give him another amen? amen. Uh, I really wanted Robbie to share his experience. And the reason why is um, so that we can see the struggle that goes through an unbeliever's mind or a person of a different denomination's mind when they come to church. There's a lot of struggle that goes through. There's a lot of difficulties that they have to, to pass through. And they come to church, they may not like your service, they may not like, uh, you know, the lack of instruments, uh, they may not like a lot of things, but the reason that keeps them is the friendship. And so, our house is like Robbie's second home, if not his first. You know, he's there almost every other night, and uh, he spends dinner with us, um, and so do a lot of the other uh, people who come to our small groups. Basically, integrated evangelism is about integrating everyone into your life. 
And that's what Robbie has done even before he got baptized. He was bringing people almost every month, new people into the church and uh, bringing them along because he was excited about the message, but also he wanted people to meet his friends. And so there was, in, there was this integration happening right in his salon. Um, as he mentioned today, we have about nine Bible studies, uh, different um, each one of us uh, takes a couple, and in fact, Robbie has started to do Bible studies uh, together with us, with a couple of them. And so he's learning how to give Bible studies uh, together with us, and so is um, Heather, his, uh, his, his um, colleague. She also comes to small groups, and she taught for the first time um, two weeks ago, I believe. And so basically, we have this, this constant flow of people coming in, and we're trying to mentor them, we're trying to study with them, and then we're trying to bring them out on Bible studies, and eventually they're doing the Bible studies. So there's this constant flow. Uh, this, is this, what, what we've done is tried to set up this structure where people at different stages have something to do, even if they're an unbeliever or, or uh, a person of a different denomination. So basically, I just want to spend a little bit of time um, sharing with you some of the principles before we end. But uh, just to cap, we had about 40 to 50, basically, members at Culpeper. Not really any non-SDAs and uh, no local young adults, I would say. But by 2008, we had two small groups. We have uh, a young adult class because we have a new group of young adults. Um, We had about 15 non-Adventists attending regularly. And then we had 17 baptisms and rebaptisms in uh, May 2008, and at the end of 2007, we had a marriage, uh, and uh, this year we're having another marriage as well. In fact, uh, the two boys that came in, Thomas, uh, he just got married at the end of last year, and Drew, he's getting married this year, um, and so we're helping them with that. The Beehive Church. Where do we get this name, the Beehive Church? Um, before we get there, I just want to read you a quotation. It comes from Testimonies, Volume 6. It says, a well-organized work must be done in the church that its members may understand how to impart the light to others and thus strengthen their own faith and increase their knowledge as they impart that which they have received from God, they will be confirmed in the faith. A working church is a living church. Keywords, well-organized. We need to organize our evangelism, we need to organize our ministries, we need to organize our departments. Organization is very important in our ministry, in our church. And where we got this inspiration for this name, a beehive church, Sister White says, will have a multifaceted program for reaching the community. And she goes on to list some of the things that this church did, which she calls a beehive church. She says, during the past few years, the beehive in San Francisco has been indeed a busy one. And she goes on to list some of these things. She said they were visiting the sick, two, finding homes for orphans, three, work for the unemployed, nursing the sick, four, five, teaching the truth from house to house, six, distributing literature, seven, conducting classes on healthful living and the care of the six, uh, sick, eight, school for the children has been conducted, Nine, treatment rooms uh, connected with a sanitarium. Ten, a health food store. Eleven, a vegetarian cafe. Twelve, meetings in large halls. Can you see the number of different things that this Beehive Church was doing in that time? 
And that's really inspired us at Iona, especially with the frontline work that we want to do. We want to be able to prepare young people and not only prepare them, but then connect them with churches who want this sort of program. And so Iona Mission, our mission is turn churches into multifaceted beehives, integrated evangelism. And so as of 2008, we're really going from just, uh, not just a Bible and health research school, but to a frontline church revival ministry. We want to be able to go out there on the front lines by helping churches implement at least three things. And these three things are evangelism funnel, small groups, as well as one-to-one Bible studies. So I'm just going to spend a little bit of time just talking about each one of these. Evangelism funnel. We call this a framework. Basically, what Peter shared with you, you can see in this type of funnel. Um, it's, it's really going through sowing, cultivating, and harvesting. And uh, what we want to help churches realize is that in the sowing part, we call these inputs. All these events are really for you to connect with people. They're first-time non-committal events where you can meet people, but they never have to come again if they don't want to. You know, for example, an outreach camp or call portering, meeting them at the doors, um, or a health seminar. You know, if they don't want to come to your church, they never have to, but it's a place where you can meet people for the first time. We call these, you know, really, if you, acquaintances or, or you know, surface relationships that you can build in these type of, of uh, events. Then we funnel them into small groups. And it's in small groups that we surround these people with a group of friends, even before they come to church, because some of them may not want to come to church, but they're willing to come to your house to have a meal. They're willing to come to house to have a Bible study, but they don't want to be an Adventist yet. Within small groups, you surround them with friends. And as you bring them into church for the first time, it's a high-risk event because they may meet the wrong person or they may meet an overzealous person that may tell them, you know what, you need to know who the Antichrist is. You know what, you need to know who the Mark of the Beast is. Let me tell you, boom. And it scares them so much they may not come back again. And, but if they've come to church and somebody has done that, but they're surrounded with a group of friends that they've built relationships with, that they, they, that they know are real, it helps to keep them in church. And so the small groups is, is we see this as, as a missing component in a lot of our churches today um, that can fulfill this role of cultivating people with friendships before they come into church for the first time. And then... In these small groups, they ask questions, they get interested, they get, uh, they get uh, convicted, and you start one-to-one Bible studies. Each of these areas allow us to train our young people. They provide more opportunities because we have more small groups. In a Vespers on Friday night, if everyone comes together, you can only have one speaker. But if I have four or five small groups on Friday nights, I can have four or five speakers with assistant speakers. And so you get this multiple opportunities for our young people to develop themselves. And you find that a church with small groups is able to develop more leaders because of this thing. And then after, and by the time we come to the harvest, the public evangelism, as Peter mentioned, there has been nine to 12 months of groundwork. But a person may not get baptized even in that one year. They may take two or three years and if you don't, if you finished your Bible studies, your, you know, your one year of Bible studies, what do you do with the guy? You know, he, 
You, you have nothing to do with him, and he may drift back out of, your, of this relationship. And this is where, again, small groups plays a part in holding them uh, and, and keeping that friendship going and uh, hopefully continuing to share with them different Bible stories that will eventually touch your heart. And so small groups, again, helps us to keep people even if they don't go through with the harvest or the public evangelism. We bring in the public evangelist. He does the harvest evangelism. We know at that point who we've been studying with for 9 to 12 months. And we know roughly who's going to get baptized as well. We know roughly who's at least ready or, or express a desire to. And so public evangelism is not a hit and miss for us. Uh, you know, we, of course, the Lord always surprises, and we always have surprises, but uh, we have a good idea of who is ready as well. Out of that public evangelism starts the next phase, what we call training or nurturing. And this is what a lot of our baptized um, members who've recently been baptized have moved into. They've started to do one-to-one -one Bible studies. Thomas is now doing Bible studies out with us. Um, Robbie has started. Heather has also started. So all the people have gotten baptized. Um, there were some that didn't go through all the studies, so we're going back through uh, the rest of the studies with them. But there were some that have gone through the complete studies, and they're ready to go out and start giving Bible studies. So we've set up this, this whole structure of discipleship and mentorship um, to continue to follow up with these people. And how do we follow up? We get them involved in the work. So the purpose of this evangelism funnel, going from um, surface relationships all the way to a one-to-one -one, uh, relationship where they're in every part almost of your life. Like Robbie mentioned, you know, we go shopping together, we hang out together, um, you know, almost every other day we're seeing each other. And as a result, he's willing to bring his friends in to meet us because we're so tight. And so it's about streamlining relationships. It's understanding that, uh, you know, each event, what type of relationships are you hoping to build out of it? If a first-timer comes, you know, you know that you're really only going to build a surface relationship. And so you need to continue to have these type of, move them into the next phase, like small groups. Um, surrounding unbelievers with a group of Adventist friends before they even get to church. Build a sense of family. Um, you know, a lot of us, we come to church, and really that's the only time that we spend with one another. But if we're to be united, as Peter mentioned this morning, if we're to have one accord, if you want to have a strong family that's united, what do you have to do? You've got to spend time together, right? You've got you to see each other as much as you can. Imagine if, if the, the father works all, all day and the mother decides to do her own activity and the children all do their own activity. What's going to be accomplished? They may all be good things, but because you didn't spend time together, you're going to be a weak family. And likewise, it is in our church today. You know, we, we do good things. We all do different ministries. We all have different types of work that we all want to do, sometimes for our own personal preference. But we don't spend enough time together. And not only do we not spend enough time together, we, don't, we aren't able to bring our friends to spend enough time together with everybody else. And so I think as a church... It's good to have ministries, but we need to make sure that we integrate these ministries so that if you're doing something, I'll try not to do something that conflicts with you in that time slot so that I can bring all my friends there. And then when you do something else over there, I can bring all my friends over there because it is important for us to mingle. And we're going to look at that in a moment. 
Lastly, structured evangelism. Every year, what we've done in this last one and a half years for Culpepper is build a pattern that they're going to repeat every single year. You know, so no matter who comes into to the church board, who, no matter who gets nominated, uh, it's not going to be a whole new trial and error experience. We've got something there that works, and we're just going to build upon it, and we're going to reuse that pattern every year. As you can see in the Antioch project, there's not a lot you need to do to have a successful harvest. You know, keep it simple. Keep your, your, your yearly calendar as simple as possible so that new people who come into new roles can repeat the same thing. Keep it simple. Small groups. As I mentioned, it's a, you know, it's a, we call it care groups. We came up with the acronym. It stands for Christ Attitude Reflected in Everyone. So that's what CARE stands for. But basically, it's a small group. We see them as evangelism units, um, which are well integrated into the church evangelism funnel and uh, accountable to the church board. That's important. Um, you know, it's, it's important that if we start small groups in the church, the leaders know that they're accountable to the church so that nobody goes off and just starts doing their own thing, teaching their own thing. The materials that we teach, we produce, um, and uh, we review, and all the leaders follow, they get a choice of different series, but they follow a series that we have reviewed and approved. Um, so that's important as well. It's well-structured, and uh, it's basically a network for caring, discipling, accountability, and leadership development. So they play a very important role in the Culpeper Church. Lastly, one-to-one. -one. Um, I believe that, you know, this is probably the most important aspect of what we've done. Um, and uh, together with the, the church members, getting everyone involved in one-to-one -one Bible study. And I just want to read you some quotations just to stress how important personal work is. Sister White says in Acts of the Apostles that if one entering upon this work, talking about ministers, but quite as easily applied to ourselves, chooses the least self-sacrificing part, contenting himself with preaching and leaving the work of personal ministry for someone else, his labors will not be acceptable to God. Personal ministry, personal work. I believe God, you know, um, in, from this quotation, puts it above preaching. And for those of us who would like to preach, that's a good thing. But make sure you do the personal work and make sure the church as a whole learns to do personal work. Set up a whole structure that facilitates and supports that. Again, in the Ministry of Healing, Sister White says, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. Very famous quotation. I'm sure you guys all know it. Another one. She says that this was Christ's method alone. I'll just start from the middle. His work was largely made up of personal interviews. He had a faithful regard for the one soul audience, and through that one soul, the message was often extended to thousands. Usually, we, today, we go the other way around, don't we? We go for the thousands, and then hopefully somewhere along the way, we'll reach the one. But really, what Jesus did is he went for the one in order to reach the thousand, and we found that in our work as well. Robbie, we, we poured all of our time into working with Robbie 
and uh, teaching him as much as we could and sharing our lives with him. And as a result, he's brought 10, 15 people into church in the last one year. And so this works. Lastly, um, desire of ages. Social power sanctified by the grace of Christ must be improved in winning souls. You know, when, uh, when I first came back to church outside uh, after leaving it for a few years, one of the things I noticed from going to Sunday churches and then coming to this, uh, back to our Adventist church was that, you know, Adventists, we have a tough time socializing. You know, we're really not that good at socializing. We, we need to improve our social skills. And I believe that quotation is there for a reason. Um, the Sunday church, you go into a Sunday church, if you're a new person, especially some of the Pentecostal churches, you will have at least eight to ten people ask you for your name, your number, and your address, and what you do before you leave church. We can come into Adventist churches today, sit at the back, and leave without ever talking to anybody. And then we can come the next week, and uh, they may ask our name, and then ten weeks later, they're still asking our name. Um, social power, we really need to improve that in our church if we're to finish the work, I believe. Conclusion, I just want to leave you with this last quotation. Sister White says, The Lord Jesus desires the members of his church to be an army of workers, laboring for him according to their varied capabilities and carrying out the principles of self-denial and self-sacrifice, preserving that love for God which drew them away from the world and which will draw them together, away from separate confederacies, from distant, dis, distant, detached parties. The work is to be one grand, harmonious whole in Christ Jesus. The faith that works by love and purifies the soul is the holy, uplifting, sanctifying agency, which is to soften and subdue jarring human nature. The love of Christ is to constrain the believers, causing them to blend in harmonious action at the cross of Calvary. As they live the principles which separated them from the world, they will be bound to one another by the sacred cords of Christian love. What's the principle here? As I said, you know, in church today, we can do a lot of good things. But even with the good things that we do, they could be separate um, parties distant parties, because we're not working together. Because if we were, as Acts chapter 2 shows us, Acts chapter 1 and 2 shows us, the work could have been finished. Today, our Adventist churches, we're too busy doing too many things, trying to, and, and competing for time that an unbeliever doesn't even know which one to go to. They don't even know which program to go to because there's like five or six or ten programs going on in a church at the same time. And I've seen that if the church, the leadership, come together and streamline the activities that they have and just keep it simple, we'll be much more effective at winning souls. And we'll be able to bring our friends from place to place, meeting the same people at the same time so that we can all work together and be united. And so that's, that's my prayer. That's my burden. Um, and that's the challenge that, that uh, we want to take up uh, in Iona, that as we go into work with the churches, we will be able to work with the church, keep things simple, and uh, do follow the old ways, you know, the old paths, what has already been shown us, not to try to come up with too many different things, and we'll find that the churches will grow, and, and the community will know about us. So um, at this time, uh, this is my, my last slide. 
Um, I just wanted to open it up to the floor, if that's okay. If, if anybody has any questions for myself, uh, Robbie, about his testimony, or even uh, Peter, um, we can open that up at, at this time. Is there any questions or comments or thoughts? Uh, I was curious about the Bible studies that you were doing in your care groups. Were they sort of pre-organized for topic and content, or was it just sort of a free-for-all wherever people were interested? Pre-organized, uh, pre-organized actually. Um, we have a lot of ground rules. Uh, I, this was really just an intro introduction on small groups, but uh, there's a lot of principles, ground rules that, that we put together. But one of the ground rules is we do not do doctrinal studies in our small group Bible studies, because you never know who could walk off the street into your study. Um, and so we try to make them generic topics, uh, gospel topics, or uh, looking at a book, um, for example. And uh, there are studies that we create, um, we write every single week. Uh, people within Ioner, Peter uh, writes um, some, Ben writes some, I write some, um, and uh, we're recruiting more people to continue to write these series. So we have a series called um, encounters with Christ. So we look at different individual encounters that Christ had and how he won their soul. Um, and we also try to, we basically have between 10 to 15 questions for each study that we write. And uh, we print it out. And uh, each person in the group reads the question, reads the Bible text, and tries to answer from the Bible text. So in doing that, we are teaching them also how to do observation, interpretation, and application. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> for new people that are coming to your church every Sabbath, do you have a group that they go to where they can ask questions or meet with someone like a new believers group or something like that? We haven't, uh, we don't have that right now. In Australia, we do have a separate class. Um, it's, it's more due to resource constraints. But uh, the way we get around that is when we do have new people come, we generally put them into the small groups first. Uh, and so they start coming to the small groups, and we're able to address a lot of questions in that and then move straight to one-to-one -one Bible study at the same time. So within our Bible studies, uh, the Sabbath school time, uh, the young adults, we have a class where it's uh, discussion-based and we study the Bible together. Uh, we've been using um, Peter's uh, Sabbath school commentary that we post up as well to help with that. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. This question is uh, for Robbie. I wonder who invited him to the care uh, group? Was it a client? Because I'm trying to reach out to my hairdresser. I talked to her here and there. <laughs> but I want to know who invited him to the care group? Helen's, her name was Helen Sambella, and she just had invited me just to come to a Bible study. Yeah, she was a client. Yes. 
there are actually a number of Adventists who have been cutting their hair at his place for a number of years. <laughs> um, so one of them asked him. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes, at the back. I understand that there are many groundworks that needs to be done in, uh, you know, starting up a new one. But um, I'm more geared towards how do you actually get people into the care group? You know, what, what was, uh, like Robbie, what was the first thing that that person did to Robbie that interests him to come to the Bible studies or to the care group meetings? Okay. Our small groups are usually on Friday nights, but we do have them on other days, and they're always in the homes. So it was only in the beginning we started in the church because uh, none of the members, the church members, were comfortable at that point to have it in their home. But we quickly, after a month or so, transitioned to the home. So when you have it in the homes, it's a lot easier to invite people um, to your home because we have a meal as well together. And so you can invite them and say, you know, we have a small... Bible study group, uh, usually, hopefully at work, you've already been discussing or dialoguing with them about the Bible, um, or they know that you're a Christian, and so you invite them to the small groups, and you just tell them, you know, come over to my place or my friend's place. We have friends who get together, and uh, we eat together, and then we have a small group. If they're not comfortable, then usually what you will do is wait for the small groups to organize a social. So we're going to have a cookout um, next Sunday. Do you want to come along, uh, meet some friends? And through meeting these friends, they will all take turns at asking him to come to small groups. Um, and so that's normally how it's done. Friendship evangelism. Yes, okay. I just have a question for Robbie. Um, how, did it, uh, how did the changing from Sabbath to Sunday uh, for your business, uh, I mean, how has the Lord blessed your business? My business, um, I'm actually probably doing about the same amount of business on Sunday as I was doing on Saturday, but right now I'm working less hours. So, <laughs> Any other questions? Uh, at the front here? And then at the back. My question is, are there any uh, Bible studies that you can recommend uh, that are already prepared that we, we can use? Uh, we ha we've written a set of Bible studies called the Next Life series. Um, and it was written from the standpoint or because of my experience in Asia where I found that um, normally with the Bible study series that we have nowadays, or the current ones, they start with the validity of the Bible. But when you talk to a Buddhist, he really doesn't care about the validity of the Bible. He's more interested about how the world began or, you know, who is God or, you know, what's, what, what's, uh, give me some stories. So we start from purpose of God in the creation of man and look at the creation story. And for the next five or so studies, we, we go through the salvation story. Um, and so we've written those studies. Um, currently, Peter and Ben are, are reviewing those, and uh, we hope to be able to uh, release them. But if you want to have a copy right now, they're, they're kind of raw because we're putting in a teacher's guide, and we're also going to be recording those as well to show you how we would teach it um, to help us uh, train Bible workers as well. 
So if you want those, um, please email. You can email me, or um, if you grab a newsletter, it has our email there, so you can email us for that. But other than that, there's lots of Bible study series out there, Amazing Facts. You know, they have a series. Um, I think there's a couple more series that uh, escape my, my memory, but, uh, you know, I'm sure that uh, even the leaders at Avonhoe probably have some series they could recommend as well. Okay. Um, at the back, there was a question. Was there? Um, no? Okay. Okay, is there any other questions? Uh, otherwise, we'll wrap up. Oh, okay. I've got a barber <laughs> uh, that um, he's like a devout Sunni Muslim, I think, and we struck up really good conversation. Um, so he's devout, I think. Uh, do you have any suggestions on maybe what I could uh, do uh, to reach somebody of that uh, type? Sorry, you said you have a barber? Barber, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, the hairdresser who, thing got me thinking. Uh, who's Muslim? Um, well, basically, the, the way we approach every single contact is to make a friend out of them. Uh, you know, you may, you just got to wait for those, those moments where the Holy Spirit impresses you, but don't force it. Uh, and so if you don't force it, then the only option that you have is to continue to keep them in your life is make a friend out of them. And not only make a friend out of them, introduce to them to all your other friends. I noticed that, uh, you know, as an Adventist and from speaking from personal experience, we have different compartments of friends. You know, we've got the friends that we come to Sabbath with. We've got the friends that we go to work with. We've got uh, school or childhood friends. And we never really mix them. But uh, integrated evangelism or small group is about mixing all of these groups. Uh, and when you do that, one reaches to the other. And so what you really want to do is make a friend out of them, but also introduce them to all your friends. Because it may be uh, strange for you to ask or answer a, a question, but somebody else may be able to connect with them. Uh, and that's really what we do. Uh, uh, for our church in Melbourne, which is basically wholly run on small groups, when you come to church on Sabbath morning, if we have a new visitor, one of the leaders will approach them They'll ask them where they're from, what their background is, and they will immediately know within the church who they should connect them with. And so they will bring them to another small group leader who may have a similar experience to them or who may have a Buddhist background and being converted from Buddhism or other, other religions and connect them and surround them with friends. Um, and so those sort of processes are what we, um, what we apply in, in Australia. Yes. So, uh, when you first talk to a person, do you make it obvious that uh, you have an agenda to <laughs> to show them your uh, share with them your Christian ways, or can you give an example of how you? Because it's easy to make a friend, but right. then going from there to the next step, it's what's difficult for me. I really don't know what to say. Okay. So can you give an example of uh, an, an introductory well, sentence? Or? Sure. I mean, there's, and this is where the church needs to get involved. You can have events that will help church members make better friends uh, and introduce them to your other friends. And so we need to create these opportunities 
Um, and, and this is where socials are important. Creating social events, having dinners at your house, inviting other church members to come to your house as well. Um, just a fellowship. Not for a purpose, although you do have in the back of your mind that you have an end goal, but uh, just a fellowship to get together. And uh, we do this all the time. Uh, you know, we bring friends, and, uh, and as a result of these regular, sometimes Robbie decides, you know, I want to have a cookout at my place. Right. It sounds like it might be easy in a small community, but when you live, for instance, in Orange County, where everybody is busy and nobody wants to take time aside from their schedule, um, I, uh, I really don't know how to do it. I mean, I want yeah. to do it. I have it in sure. my heart to do it, but I really don't know what to do. I don't know what to say to these people. Everyone seems to be established on their beliefs and don't want to hear anything else. So do is there any help friends, that you can... Uh, you, do you have time to organize dinners? Um, I personally probably shouldn't. I live in a one-bedroom apartment. They barely have any furniture. I, <laughs> I uh, decided to simplify my life, and uh, I, I don't have much where or a place where I can really do that. Okay. I, w I would so. suggest trying to organize dinners, but aside from that... Um, we do meet people in events like health events, um, you know, or uh, other such events that are organized, but it's all integrated. So even at the health events, we will have our small group leaders there to, you know, to, uh, to connect uh, with them. And, and so if you are having difficulty to reach out to your friends, possibly talk with your other friends and see if you can come up with some social events, if not social events, come to the church leaders and get them to organize something that you think your friends would be interested in, like a health or, or a seminar. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Well, I have an idea because I live in an area that doesn't have Adventists and um, when the opportunity arises, like they know I don't go to Saturday swimming class, so I'll say, well, I go to church on Saturday. Or in the spa, someone was asking me about uh, the style of eating I eat because they noticed that I didn't eat uh, anything made of meat when we went to the cafeteria or something, and so I just let them know. And then you just, you are their friends, and then the questions start to come, really curious things. And so we could be, I do water aerobics, we're in the pool with our dumbbells doing stuff, and they'll ask me a question. Well, what do Adventists believe? And uh, other people uh, completely, uh, like I have this uh, uh, former policeman who's in the pool, and he'll say, um, well, I don't even believe in God. And so then I'll just say, well, maybe someday you're going to be surprised. And I'll just talk to him as a friend, and the questions come. Uh, in the sauna, we're all there in towels. And... Uh, they're asking questions, you know? So if you just let it be known that you're different, uh, there's a lot of people searching, especially Sunday people, who are not getting any depth, just like the person we had. Uh, and they really have a curiosity and they want to know more. And if you just let them know you're a little bit different, but then they see you're sane and you're intelligent, uh, then they start to wonder, what in the world is going on here? So, anyway, I just say, let it be known, and the questions come. It's amazing. Agreed, yeah. And from there, what I would do is invite them to small groups. Um, 
you also have to be careful about how in-depth you go into a conversation when you're out in a, a group, a public environment, when you're outnumbered. Because if you say the wrong thing, uh, they will create a first impression and that's the end of your conversations or their comfort level with coming to anything that you're gonna organize after that. So the best thing is to bring them into the comfort of your own home um, or into the comfort of somebody else's home in a small group setting or in, even in a personal setting to go further into those topics. Um, so do be careful when you are trying to address those out, you know, in, a, in an environment like that, yeah. Um, I think it's, it's uh, probably getting late, so what I'd like to do is uh, let's close with prayer. And if you do continue to have questions, I can, uh, I can remain around and uh, we can talk some more after this. But uh, I'd like to close so that people who need to go can go. So let's uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your blessed Sabbath day. I thank you, Lord, for the commitment and dedication of uh, your people here in Advent Hope and other churches. And Lord, I can see that there is a desire, there is a passion for your work. And uh, Lord, I thank you that we've been able to meet together and be blessed by your word. And Father, I pray that each one of us would uh, continue with this conviction, with a desire to see the soon coming of our Savior and friend, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that through the hearing the testimony of, of Robbie, uh, many of us may have been refreshed in our own Christian experience and desire to see that we could have influenced somebody to do the same thing that Robbie has done or that, that has uh, brought Robbie in. And Lord, I pray that uh, each one of us would go into this week with a new purpose, that we would go out there and mingle with people for the purpose of salvation, that we would desire to participate more in the activity of soul winning and be blessed by it. I thank you, Lord, for uh, being with us, and I pray for your continued presence and blessing with us, with us through the rest of this Sabbath evening. For this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.